So before recording, we were uh, looking over how many podcasts we've done this semester, and sadly, the number is this is going to be our fifth. <laughs> we try to do 12 a semester, and for various reasons, most um, notable of the reasons being we're just not on campus very often right now. Uh, this is only our fifth podcast, but it's not our last. We will have um, a handful more before the end of the semester. I think a good goal is uh, let's hit 10 this semester. Okay, halfway there. Yeah. So our guest this week is Dr. Amin Asfari. He's a Campbell University alumnus and a professor of criminal justice at the, uh, at the Raleigh campus. And I think he teaches adult and online education. Um, Dr. Asfari has a study that's been released in the Journal for Muslim Minority Affairs and a study that's going to be released in the Journal for Muslim Minority Affairs. Uh, his first study um, looks at Muslim American assimilation into American culture and uh, specifically looks at um, life for Muslim Americans post 9-11. And then his uh, upcoming study looks at um, law enforcement relations with Muslim Americans, which is very timely since um, the entire Black Lives Matter movement um, is centered around uh, Black um, men and women and their experiences with law enforcement and the justice system. So um, very timely studies from Dr. Asfari, and uh, therefore this is a very timely interview. But I'm going to be honest, Kate, I kind of struggled with this one. I know we're sh we shouldn't have to, um, you know, have a shared experience with our guest in order to have a, a riveting conversation. But, you know, being a Muslim American is something that I know nothing about, obviously. But it's also something that I feel like I still have to tiptoe around when asking questions. And I feel weird asking what I might find to be poignant, you know, tough questions uh, without still feeling weird about it. And I don't understand why I felt that in this interview. We've already done this interview and uh, Dr. Asfari did a great job with us. Um, yeah. But I feel like I failed a little bit because... Um, well, I hope that the interview that we had was enlightening to people and that the work that he does, we, we joke during the podcast that no one really reads these studies, but uh, the work that he's doing, I, I hope that it does find a format that's accessible to people. I think that I, I hope that Campbell continues to try to bring Muslims, Christians, and other religious traditions together in meaningful ways that are, that are peaceful and that, that everyone can find common ground in. And I think that his work is going to be a big part of that. Uh, the interview is coming right up, but uh, you had mentioned that you found this to be, um, when we were talking after the interview, that you found this to be interesting, that um, he never considered himself a religious Muslim growing up and right. that he he discovered I you know for lack of a better term his him, himself and his religion while a student in Campbell University. Um, Campbell University of course is a Baptist institution but we are also an institution that um, you know encourages faith and invites people of all faiths and uh, for him to say that is encouraging and yeah uh, I agree yeah he had good things to say about his Campbell University experience he was in college when September 11th happened and, you know, for all Muslim Americans, you know, that one day turned their American experience on its head. Um, you know, especially for uh, people, he's from Syria. And so especially he moved to the United States at a young age, um, you know, where he, sa he says in this interview that his 
pre 9-11 experience was great. He even calls it magical and I'll let him explain that word in, in the interview. But then it all just changed and it's fascinating. And, and I try to put myself in the place, what if I'm living in a country and things are going well and then this one thing happens that completely changes the way people think about me, even if I had nothing to do with it, or even if my, you know, right. um, and it's just, it's so fascinating. And I feel like, you know, we, we spent a lot of time on that with him and not as much on his studies, but then again, this is all what his study is about. So mm -hmm. you said it just now, we joke that nobody reads these studies. Um, if you go to news.campbell.edu, you'll see a story that accompanies this podcast and uh, it links to his study. So okay. read it, read it, read the study and, um, and uh, understand that we have um, really talented, really thought provoking people representing Campbell University out there. So, okay. So like I said, we're, uh, we're going to try to have about five more of these this semester. If you or anybody you know would like to join us on Rhymes with Orange, <laughs> let us know and, and uh, yeah. And send us a detailed pitch with why you want to be on, because we do have people knocking on the door all the time. So yes, coming up, our interview with Dr. Amin Asfari. Uh, you're listening to Rhymes with Orange. Uh, first off, uh, thank you so much, Dr. Asfari, for joining us on our podcast today. I know a lot of what you, a lot of what your study stems from September 11th, 2001. Mm -hmm. and it's obvious, um, you know, huge, a huge moment in American history, but a huge moment in Muslim American history as well. And, and uh, I'm going to definitely ask a lot about that. But my first question is just this, these topics as a whole. Um, what led you to want to pursue, pursue this and eventually publish studies about um, being Muslim in America? Uh, right. Uh, I thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you, uh, Billy and Kate. Um, the, the topic really stems from an incident that took place several years ago, the UNC Chapel Hill shooting. Uh, and at the time, I was still uh, uh, in graduate school considering a topic for my dissertation. I was going to go somewhere entirely different with it. But uh, I decided to do my dissertation on this notion of Islamophobia and prejudice, um, uh, looking at college campuses and how some programs on college campuses can ameliorate prejudice towards Muslims. Um, and in doing that research, I saw the intersectionality between anti-Muslim prejudice, i.e. Islamophobia, and anti-Black, anti-Hispanic, anti-Asian, of prejudice and so on, specifically looking at uh, the Brown v. Board of Education decision, uh, which attempted to sort of incorporate African Americans into the economic mainstream by making them uh, feel more comfortable uh, on college campuses. So that's broadly what, what directed my interest there. But then I, I found that really the criminological explanations for a lot of the hate crimes that take place in the US um, don't satisfy me personally. Uh, there's an element of uh, psychological antecedent conditions. There's this, this idea of prejudice that, that comes ahead of acting out on uh, a hate crime. 
and that's uh, not often discussed in the criminological literature. So that's more broadly my, I'm trying to essentially build a, a, a body of knowledge around this very question that I don't, I haven't seen in the U.S. I want to know what life was like for you before 9-11, because um, I understand, well, first off, how old were you on September 11th? Uh, I was in college. If, if you want uh, sort of a, a lengthier explanation, I, we, I came here to the United States at the age of 10. Okay. Um, that was in 1992. Okay. So, b- so before 9-11 then, because I, 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 I want to set the stage of, of what 9-11 meant to you sure. um, as a Muslim American, but just life, you, you come here as a 10-year-old, and so you're here roughly nine years before that happens. Um, what, what was life like for you? Was, was there a lot of um, racism or prejudice that, that you encountered while here, or um, did you feel like that wasn't a big part of your childhood? Uh, I would argue that that wasn't a big part of any Muslim's childhood prior to 9-11 because they were seen as a sort of innocuous, just um, benign uh, foreigners, if you would. Uh, uh, in fact, they were seen as sort of magical. I recall a time in high school, <laughs> someone said, where are you from? I said, well, uh, Syria. And he said, well, where is that? I said, yeah, have you ever seen Aladdin? He said, yeah, well, I said, yeah, somewhere around there, right? Right. Um, so they turned from magical to monster during 9-11. Uh, the stereotype of the Arab was uh, genies, flying carpets, and so forth. Prior to 9-11, all of a sudden they transformed to something uh, a, a visceral, something that's uh, 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 demonic, if you would. But I also, let me say this, I didn't grow up in North Carolina. I grew up in a place where being Arab was perfectly normal. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, in fact, uh, in an area that was formerly sort of, um, it was known amongst the locals as Beirut because it was so heavily populated by Arabs. As you know, New York is very much segregated by ethnicity. So I didn't have any problems per se, nothing that uh, an average American kid wouldn't have. Okay, so you, so then you're in college then when, when September 11th happens and right. um, you know, terrible day for everybody, but how soon before you realized that this is not going to go well for you <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to put it very, very mildly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, mildly indeed. The thing is, of course, I wasn't very religious. Uh, I, you know, I, there was not much introspection and just as you'd see many people who are born into Christianity, but never necessarily uh, act upon it uh, per se. They, they may go to church or, or you know, identify as Christian, but not necessarily uh, view themselves as quote-unquote religious. And so the same was true for me. It was more about the racial identity for me than it was uh, the, the Islamophobia per se. Interestingly, the two, are, the two are often conflated, and that's part of my research project and my undertaking uh, recently, is to disaggregate the two from one another. If I say Billy's Irish and Kate is uh, you know, from Zimbabwe, and then I say Amin is uh, Muslim. Well, that's conflating a religious identity with a racial one. And that's the same thing that Hitler did to the Jews. Judaism is a religion. It is not a racial identity, though that's been disputed back and forth. But the reason that he did that is if, uh, if you are racially Jewish, you can never escape your Jewishness. So my justification for, uh, for the Holocaust then uh, remains valid. These people can never change, even if they profess to have converted to Christianity or something else, right? 
it becomes a racial marker. And so that's, that's really something that I'm intrigued by. What's personally changed for you? I, I know you said um, people incorrectly associated, you know, whatever your religion might have been with, with race, and, and uh, that's understandable. But, but a lot of people, I think, just saw anybody that looked like they were from the Middle East, and all of a sudden there was this completely different mindset, especially from white Americans on, on you know, on Muslim Americans. And so I, I just want to get the personal experience from you is what changed for you? You're in college, things are going well. Um, what, what exactly was different for you in, in those weeks and months and years that followed? Yeah, well, I suppose um, immediately what became apparent was that I was now the other uh, when I hadn't been. Uh, just weeks before, right? Uh, somehow there was something unique about me that people wanted to inquire about. You know, what what do you think of this incident? As though I speak for an entire group of people, namely one point some billion people. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, I was supposed to answer for that. Um, so questions like that, uh, some more respectful than others, some more nuanced than others, some uh, born out of a genuine ignorance. Uh, of you know geopolitical issues, uh, others uh, stemming from prejudice. Uh, so there was a little bit of discomfort there. A few years after the incident, in fact, uh, in 2000, 2004, 2003, I started as an undergrad at Campbell. I had transferred from my other institution, and I started as undergrad. I was the only Muslim that I that I can think of that I remember uh, at Campbell, and there the interactions were actually quite positive. Uh, the, I, I recall and, and still uh, remember fondly my, now, now one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Adam English, who um, was at the religion department. And he and I uh, interacted and he had laid, after I graduated, of course, and got my master's degree and so forth, he would call me in to, to give talks about creation in the Islamic tradition in, his, uh, in one of his honors courses. Uh, and so those interactions, those discussions, me and the dean and others uh, talking about what it means to be religious and, and what are the sort of the, the similarities and differences between the two faiths. And we delved into a lot of theological discussions. It's in fact at Campbell where I began to form a Muslim identity because I found myself now having to shape, uh, to, to identify as something. What am I in, in light of all these different ideas, right? That's good to hear about Campbell, and I think for me personally, like being in a public education system after 9-11, it was difficult to decipher these, that what we were talking about before with the difference between religion and race. And obviously, you're taught your whole life not to judge a book by its cover, of course, like people are aware of racial differences and we observe them, and it's, it has nothing to do with judging a person by their character. But when you're in a public school system and you're not growing up learning about any religion in particular, and then you're taught, well, some people in their religion, even Christians are, you know, extremists, and then some people aren't. And it's your job to like, not discriminate based on anything. How do you work toward better understanding and integration of different communities who really don't have uh, an understanding of the difference between religion and just race? Uh, 
That, you know, that's an interesting question because for me, until I came to the United States, I didn't look at differences. I, I think that's somewhat of a cliche in some parts of this country. But because I grew up in the Middle East, um, first of all, understanding the history of the Middle East is a, is a social construct. There's no such thing called the Middle East. That said, there's a, there, we have Christian communities, for example, some of the oldest surviving Christian communities in the world exist in the Middle East. Uh, and so this view of Muslims as intolerant is prima facie false by, by, by just simply looking at what, what composes, what groups compose the Middle East. Christians and Muslims and Jews have been intermarrying and living amongst one another for ages there in the Middle East and continue to do so. Uh, the Maronites, for example, that, that, that are remnants of the Crusades still live in Syria. The, uh, the, the Orthodox, right, the Eastern Orthodox, Still live in Syria and intermarry amongst Muslims and so on. So that was never an issue for me personally. But America sort of forces someone to recognize distinction. It's so ingrained in the American fabric, this idea of discrimination and, and, uh, and, and inequitable treatment amongst groups and people and all kinds of dynamics, that it forces you to look at that and say, hold on a second, how do I cope? Now, how do I get to know this other person? How do I simply cope in this sea of prejudice and whatnot? And that, in fact, is not unique to racial prejudice. I mean, you're living it now with a group identity, policing versus minority com communities versus you know, Blue Lives Matter and so on and so forth. You know, Sigmund Freud had a very good saying. He said, the, the, the narcissism of minor group differences what he suggests is people in, innately like to identify with something. And even if they're both white, Christian, whatever the case may be, they will find something to fight about. Hence the, the Catholics and the Protestants in Ireland, right? So group identity is a really unique thing. And that's precisely why I am really interested in this idea of prejudice as a precursor or an antecedent to hate crimes uh, uh, more broadly. I don't know that I answered your question. I do think that a sense of understanding, you know, if you look at uh, my colleague and I, she's Episcopalian. And uh, we started a group called Raleigh Communities of Peace. I think the website is still functioning. We haven't done much with it in, in, a, in a while, but she and I would go and we, get, we met at, the, at her church in downtown Raleigh. In fact, David Crabtree was one of the speakers. So he and I and, and her and so forth, we decided to put together a group. Look, let's let's go out and confront prejudice uh, and support social justice issues beyond identity markers. Like, uh, for example, I, I don't want to work with someone who's Baptist or Catholic, or I want to work with everyone, regardless of their affiliation. And that is, and the reason for that is based born out of the literature. People, when they come into contact with with one another, generally speaking, prolonged meaningful contact they will, that will help to ameliorate some of the prejudice. And so that, that was the idea behind that, that group. I guess I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, uh, the current Black Lives Matter movement. If you go back to the 60s, uh, Black Muslims were actually among the leaders in the civil rights movement in the 60s. And, and Muslims were at the forefront, I think, of that movement and um, were, um, you know, had a very if you supported that movement, they had a very positive, the, the public had a very positive perception, I guess, of, of black Muslims if they supported that movement, of course. Mm -hmm. um, today's Black Lives Matter movement is, uh, 
I think is a bit different in that, um, you know, the, I think the definition of Muslim American has changed again because of what you say happened on September 11th. People, mm-hmm. again, don't understand, <laughs> you know, the religion as a whole. They just, they think 9-11 and they think this and, and their perception is, is, uh, is skewed. But I'm curious for you, um, you're, you're seeing the, this Black Lives Matter movement. As a Muslim, um, what, what is the perception of, the, I guess, the Muslim community about what's going on right now? Because you faced these um, strained relationships with law enforcement. You faced um, social injustice. You faced, uh, you know, racial bias and, and prejudice. And you've, you've experienced all this but it seems like that the current movement is specifically for black Americans. Do you feel as a Muslim that um, maybe a little bit on the outside of this or do you, or, or is there a lot of support there for what's going on right now? I know it's a tough question and maybe I didn't word it correctly, but um, it just feels like a lot of what they're fighting against right now are the same things that you've experienced in the last 20 years. Uh, I think you just did a great job of synthesizing much of the literature on prejudice. Okay, because, I didn't uh, mean to. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, incidentally, uh, the Muslim community is an active part of the of a Black Lives Matter movement, not so much center stage, but certainly there are many advocates, and I can name certainly one that you're probably familiar with, Linda Sarsour. Uh, out of New York, she was, uh, um, she championed the women's, uh, uh, the women's movement uh, a few years ago, in 2016 and so forth. So, uh, there are definitely um, um, Muslim academics, black or otherwise, that are speaking in support of the Black Lives Matter movement um, because, precisely because of what you mentioned, this notion of intersectionality, we are all uh, to some degree relegated to the other in one way or another. That is either our racial identity, our religious identity, et cetera. And that is, that is precisely the function of prejudice. Prejudice functions, you know, aside from its uh, negative connotation, the, the term prejudice, what it does is it serves a function in society. Just like crime allows the state to relegate certain people to a uh, sort of undesirable class, right? You're labeled a criminal. The same uh, thing happens with prejudice. Prejudice allows a majority uh, to say, hey, uh, we, we, ha- we have to discriminate between our lifestyle, our accepted ways of life, and so on, between us and you, the, the so-called so other. So it delineates uh, different groups based on different things, racial identity, economic status, whatever. But it also serves prejudice and inherent, uh, incidentally, seems to be good for minority groups. And it's good because it allows them to work together, even though they're vastly different in, in how, they've been, how they've experienced prejudice per se. They work together in confronting prejudice. So it unites them, it presents a united front. So for example, the, the 2016 election saw all of a sudden these people that were the other, if you recall the Muslims were relegated to the other uh, before uh, the Trump administration, all of a sudden you had white, black and LGBTQ and everybody standing in solidarity and support, going to the airports and, and protecting them while they prayed and, and, and you know, uh, being with them and supporting them and advocating against the Muslim ban and so forth. So that's what it tends to do also for minorities. Um, to answer your question then, 
Yes, there is wide support within the Muslim community. However, I think you will find that support more uh, likely to come from second, third generation Muslims than say immigrant Muslims. And there you have to distinguish between when you say Muslims, you, you know, you mentioned uh, the black Muslim movement. The black Muslim movement was perceived as good by a very marginal group of people who supported civil liberties, but it was largely despised by the vast majority of people. It was well, seen I, as, right. And I think history has, um, history has, has softened, I guess, perceptions. More people today support what happened 40, 50 years ago, but certainly right. at the time, you're right. Yeah, it was a very small portion of the population. You're correct. Indeed. Yeah. The same people that were now uh, speaking, uh, uh, you know, uh, favorably of Muhammad Ali were the same people that resented him back then. Dr. Sari, this study that you published in the Journal for Muslim Minority Affairs, that was on the meaning of being Muslim in America. And it sounds like you have another study to be published in December. What are you hoping that people take away from your results? And how are you hoping that people will change from it? Well, to, to the extent that people read these things, I think, <laughs> unfortunately, all academics tend to, tend to complain about this. Uh, the only people that read them are the writers and maybe the editor and the reviewers. Um, that said, it's already been cited, uh, uh, I think in Australia or somewhere, I forget where it's been cited. Um, so I do hope that it, it begins a conversation and a dialogue about, about this idea of who this group is uh, and that they see that just like our empirical findings suggest, contrary to popular belief, these people are in fact uh, very well assimilated. Um, and tend to be so across the Western world. I mean, Muslim, there's no discrepancy between Islamic ideals at their core and uh, Western uh, ideals, this idea of uh, you know, hard work, freedom, et cetera. That said, uh, the news media often does a, and of course, a lot of backward Muslims, frankly, uh, are, are complicit in this, like the situation in France recently. Um, you see, that's painted as a Muslim problem. It's a Muslim guy that went and beheaded a teacher because, uh, you know, the prophet was, you know, assailed or some such thing. The vast majority of the nearly two billion Muslims uh, would 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 uh, would love to see nothing more than the guy that de decapitated the teacher being put to death because that is completely and absolutely against the Islamic teaching, so much so that the prophet himself was ridiculed in his own time. And he forbade his followers to harm anyone, even if they uh, you know, were to ridicule him, right? So we're, but the, it's framed as a Muslim problem, just like crack cocaine was framed as a black problem in the 1980s during the, the crack epidemic and so on. It is a purposeful framing of the group and the association of the group with the act. Uh, and, and, and there are reasons for that, and we can certainly get into that if you're inclined, but, but uh, I, I would hope that we see on an empirical level, because this group has, has not been empirically studied as much as it should be, that there is no distinction between them and the uh, uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh, American, uh, uh, i.e. Billy, who's been here for a long time, right? In fact, yeah. and there, therein lies the issue. Uh, a lot of, when you say Muslim, uh, 
you know, there are Texan cowboys that are Muslims that have been here for God knows a uh, hundred years. That said, um, that's what I hope to get out of it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I have, I'm, um, I'm from Texas. I haven't met a, a Muslim Texan cowboy yet, but I'd love to. And actually oh, a, a side note, you're, uh, um, a, and I'm going to butcher the name. I'm sorry. Amni Sharadi, Sh- uh-huh. your assistant professor, Texan of Commerce. Uh, that's where that's where uh, Texan of Commerce is where I went. So it's okay. small that's world there. So small world. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, you know, we're we're just over thirty minutes, and I know I know that this topic. You know, you could spend so much more time talking about this. And really, what we wanted to focus on wanted to focus on was the study, but I kind of went sidetracked about, you know, 9-11 and everything. It's just to me, um, and I'm not going to include this in the podcast, but just me personally, you know, I was also in college um, when it happened, or I had just gotten out of college, and uh, young, impressionable, didn't know, didn't know much about anything, and I will admit my own personal views of Muslims were absolutely skewed after 9-11, because that was my introduction to Muslims, I guess. I, I didn't know much about them until 9-11, and then all of a sudden, well, these are the, the men responsible for this horrific attack, and, you know, of course I'm going to have this negative view, and, and uh, um, you, know, and, you know, that subsides once you make the decision to actually learn and, <laughs> and, you know, be smarter about it than that, but there's a lot of people still today who have a negative view because of something that happened 20 years ago. And so I guess my final question uh, is um, what has changed in 20 years? Do you feel like it's getting better? I know we have representatives of Congress now who are Muslim and um, maybe you wouldn't have seen that 20 years ago. What are some of the positive changes that you've seen? Uh, I think going to back to my prior point, the, the, the fact that we have Muslim representatives in Congress is, probably because of the prejudice that they face. Again, uh, it, it sort of activates their social consciousness and their civil engagement. Uh, yeah. That said, uh, I, I do not think we are in a better place. I don't think we're a post-racial society as evidenced by the social conditions that we're seeing ourselves in. I do not believe in the myth of a linear progression in the United States that things will constantly get better simply because we're in the United States. Uh, the, the, that to me is a myth. Uh, I, I do believe that as a society that's a civil society, we can continue to challenge uh, oppressions. You know, you know uh, I foresee that uh, after the Muslims, it'll be somebody else. It works in a cycle in the United States. You've got the Japanese, you've got the Irish for crying out loud, you've got right, and, and the, war on, the, the war on the Irish was prohibition. It was a war on Catholics, really. Then you have the war on drugs, African-Americans, Hispanics. Um, then, then you have the war on terror, and there will be a war on someone else uh, at some point. So what I think we, we need to do is uh, make this a, a, a milestone to remember, something that maybe we tell our kids, uh, treat people nicer, educate yourself, as you suggested. But do I think we're, we're in a better place now? I don't think so, uh, to be honest with you. That's a very pessimistic view, but I hope that education ameliorates that and that's why i'm glad to be doing this at a university it's like you just said that pessimism leads to action and and eventually gets better so here's hoping uh well thank you so much dr asfari for for doing this with us today 